In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, everyone. I hope and expect that many of us are still feeling the influence of the Easter season, the joy that comes out of the story of our Lord's resurrection, and the confidence that in the last days we will experience the general resurrection, even our own resurrection, as promised. Since Easter is celebrated in the spring, with colorful flowers all around, even here in the desert. There has to be a sense that Easter life is renewed and renewable. In fact, of course, we reinforce that sense here today with our gardening and spirituality fair, so appropriate as it comes on the heels of Earth Day. So there is that sense that death does not have the final word. And, of course, we are to be heartened by the realization that death does not have the last word, that evil cannot prevail. That does not mean we won't be afraid. Sometimes, like the disciples, we too are fearful that we may be next in the sense of being ridiculed, persecuted, or even worse, for our faith. I know I don't need to tell you that you meet people every day who think you are absolutely nuts for what you believe. (laughs) So perhaps, like Thomas, you have spent the last week doubting a little bit, or at least wondering. Because, after all, like Thomas, You haven't seen him yet. So what do we need today? Do we need Jesus to walk right in here and say, put your finger here in my hand. Reach out and touch my side. Do not doubt, but believe. I suspect if that were to occur that in itself might scare us. Certainly the disciples were filled with fear when Jesus appeared in our gospel account. And so I have thought deeply about this resurrected Jesus who appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. He might have condemned them for fleeing at his trial and crucifixion, but he did not do that. He offered them what they needed, and then he asked from them what he needed. After offering them real peace, he challenged them to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and to be instruments of peace and salvation in the world. Jesus offers us the same peace though we are often seemingly unable to accept it. And he also wants, indeed needs us, to be his disciples. He said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. 
Friends, that would be us. Blessed are we who have not seen and yet have come to believe. There's something else in this story as well. The gift of the Holy Spirit was offered to the disciples when they were together in community. And it serves as an example to us of how we usually experience the Holy Spirit when we are in community as fellow believers. I have to say, I do wish I had known Jesus. I mean, Jesus in the flesh. I wish I had walked beside him as he traveled through Galilee. I wish I could have seen him heal a blind man. More especially, I wish that I had been there to see the resurrected Christ. I wish that I had seen the nail prints in his hands. I wish I had been there when he ascended into heaven. But I do know Jesus through his teachings, through the understanding passed down through the community of faith, through my prayer life, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm always interested in what people say after they have visited the Holy Land. Many people describe the special feeling they felt standing where Jesus stood, walking where he walked. Actually, I tried that while on pilgrimage there in 1994, and it was very special, but not exactly in the sense I anticipated. Unlike some, I did not have the sense that I was walking on ground that was holier than other ground. The holiness I felt was holiness emanating from the people I met there, the pilgrims, the faithful residents, and even the Israelis and the Palestinians who were and are in conflict. So I have the feeling it would have been even more special to be there with Jesus in the flesh. There's part of me that envies Peter and James and John, the disciples closest to Jesus. We might even envy Thomas the one we know as Doubting Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because he refused to believe when the other disciples said that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. It's too bad that we remember Thomas, not for his faith, but for his doubt. There's some evidence that he later served as a missionary to India, but that isn't how we remember him. We remember him as a doubter. But if his reputation is not that great, at least Thomas got to see the risen Christ. He wanted to see the nail prints in Jesus' hands, and he got a chance to do that. As you know, Jesus had visited the disciples earlier when Thomas was absent, but he came again when Thomas was present. The wounds appearing even in the resurrected body of Jesus are sometimes described as his badge of identification, authentication, and association, proof that he was truly part of the human race. So then, of course, Thomas was embarrassed that he had not believed. He felt ashamed 
But then he said, My Lord and my God, acknowledging that he had changed from doubt to belief. Like Thomas initially, I have not seen, you have not seen, but we have believed, and we are therefore blessed. But here's something we need to think about. As someone said, God doesn't bless us just to make us happy. God blesses us to make us a blessing. God blesses us to be givers and promises that we will receive more than we give. This is what a hurting world needs today. This is what you need today. Your friends certainly need it. Everyone you know needs it. Because all around you, people are living out of fear, through anxiety, and with great doubt that anyone or anything can make their lives better. Maybe they're looking in the wrong places. Maybe they've had some disappointing experiences. Maybe they simply have the wrong attitude, ignoring the obvious blessings of life, choosing to concentrate on what they do not have. We should not do that. We need to keep our eyes open to see the blessings when they come. By the way, that world-famous theologian Oprah Winfrey has given some good advice about recognizing blessings. She says, keep a grateful journal. Every night list five things that happened this day that you are grateful for. What it will begin to do is change your perspective of your day and your life. If you can learn to focus on what you have, you will always see that the universe is abundant, and you will have more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never have enough. We all know that life is full of surprises. And somewhere along the way, you are likely to find blessing in the most unexpected way. It happened to me through my encounters with cancer. You see, I have had three cancers in the last 15 years. And I once published a piece entitled, Cancer as an Occasion for Grace. It described what I learned through my experience. I wrote, Unfortunately, many people get cancer. My story would not be particularly significant, except that most people who get cancer do not or will not admit that the experience can be an occasion of grace, God's grace, and grace demonstrated by those around us. I have learned, as some of you have learned, that people who work in cancer centers, from surgeons to receptionists, by and large demonstrate a care and concern that is unmatched in my experience. I returned to my parish in Flagstaff, telling my vestry, my goodness, I wish the Church could do as well. 
In fact, we must try to do as well. I learned something else, too. People who have not spoken a word other than business to you in your whole life will suddenly see you as more than a decision machine, more than a transaction, more than a solution to their problem. They will send handwritten notes and words of encouragement by email. They will appear at your door with care packages. They will go buy books for you on dealing with cancer. They will share their favorite jokes. People you have never met will make prayer quilts and send them to you. The most amazing thing about it is that if you were to inquire, you would certainly discover that these other people have their own problems, but they are attending to yours. Inside of yourself, looking out at all that people are saying and doing, you realize that your own life has changed. It's not just that you suddenly are facing your own mortality in a new way. What you see is that daily life can be different. You see others in a new light, and you're also presented with the opportunity to live your own life differently, nurturing your relationships in ways that seemed impossible before. As you begin to struggle with your own issues, I dare say, if you are attentive, you may find occasions for grace, and you might find grace in unexpected places. But even if others in your life are not offering it to you, you are not helpless, you are not bound, you can offer it to them. I invite you to do that. I ask you to do that. In fact, start today by being a blessing to little Charlotte, who in a few moments will become the world's newest Christian, and be a blessing to her family. Henry Sloan Coffin, a Presbyterian minister who became president of Union Theological Seminary in New York, is credited with pointing out the indisputable Easter fact is that Jesus was a more potent factor in Jerusalem in the weeks and months after his death on Calvary than when he rode into the city amidst the cheering crowds or sat with his disciples in the upper room. Surely that is because the disciples started to be a potent factor themselves. So in our own time, let us make this world a better place, one day at a time, one step at a time, because we have come to believe, even though we have not seen, we are blessed, and we have a duty to be a blessing to others. If you are fearful, peace be with you.